Here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas, just after 8 o'clock. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live, same time every Sunday at Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM in 1348 flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. Coming to you live from Spencer Studio in Las Vegas, located basically at the 95 and Jones Boulevard. We are here because we've been booted from the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio until further notice due to COVID protocol. And I have to say, until further notice is starting to feel like forever. I'm just saying. Um, joining me on the show is social media director Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. That's right. Spencer has his own theme music. Also part of the show on social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio is our producer, Chris Magnum Chapman. Magnum is also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network and Mag produces a number of other shows and wears an awful lot of hats at Lotus Broadcasting. Hopefully Mag's mic is working and he'll be able to chime in as well today. We are also streaming on the LV Sports Network and you can watch the show on Facebook Live. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. And you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. Since we are live, call questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bay Corp studio line is 702 876 1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap brought to you by Title Spencer Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you currently own, Residential Bank Corp is the company you turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp funding America one neighborhood at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. On Tap, the Vegas Golden Knights announced 2021 fan protocol for attending games at T-Mobile Arena. UNLV kicked off their 2021 season Thursday night at Allegiant Stadium for the first time in front of fans. And my former co-host and former UNLV quarterback, Caleb Herring, will be joining the show to break it down. Caleb is also the color commentator on ESPN, the leader here in Las Vegas. Also joining the show today to talk Las Vegas Raiders is News 3's Jesse Merrick, who is a sports anchor and reporter with News 3 covers the Raiders, covers UNLV, does a great job. Going to enjoy Jesse. He'll be on a little bit. The Wiz will be hosting our newest segment, Aces Up, today. Uh, we started it last week. The Wiz will take on that responsibility today, so definitely check that out. And the Las Vegas Aviators continue their win wave and are one of the hottest teams in AAA. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. And right now, Residential Bank Corp is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 toward closing costs for any and every home financing program that is a purchase deal in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for details. And uh, Mags, are you, are you working back there or do we got a lot of feedback? We must have the feedback. I, 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 don't I don't know. know. Can, Can you guys, guys hear me okay? okay? We hear you great. There you are. I I think I even hear your beard rustling. Yeah. Yeah. Are, 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 are you guys, guys hearing that uh, high-pitched noise? Not at all. I don't know if they're hearing it over the radio. I'm not hearing it in my headset, and Spence is shaking head no over there, so I think we're okay. Okay. All right, well, good deal. Mags, we were all at the game last night. Um, 
not the greatest game, but Arizona made a little bit of a comeback in the second half at Allegiant Stadium. It was the kickoff classic. I was kind of looking forward to it. I was saying I was going to see a real college football game for the first time in a while in Las Vegas, although we did see UNLV play Thursday night. We'll talk about that in a bit with Caleb Herring. But um, I'll tell you what, one of the things that's going to stand out to all of us in that game was uh, BYU's cornerback, Keenan Ellis. He goes down early in the first half quarter um he's on the field for more than 20 minutes head-to-head contact it did not look good at all they carted him off the field the only thing you saw was a leg twitching a lot of people including q myers kind of felt that uh the leg twitching was simply you know like a nervous twitch in your leg that's a natural reaction but uh mags at latest update and i know you saw it spencer did too but at latest update um he was, uh, they said that he was moving his, uh, all of his extremities were working and they kept him overnight in the hospital for observation. Man, that's some of the best news I had when I woke up this morning. Yeah, I watched the presser with, with BYU head coach Kalani Sitaki and uh, he, he said after the game that uh, he kept wanting to get up. The, the, the kid kept wanting to get up. He was moving his arms and his legs while he was down on the ground, but the, uh, the, the medics kept telling him to stay down and, and, you know, let them work on him. And uh, Sitaki went on to say that he's improving. They were going to keep him for some more tests, but uh, it did sound like it's not the worst case scenario. I mean, obviously you still don't know what the extent of, of the injury or the damage is, but at least from the sounds of it, it's not a a, a catastrophic, you know, paralysis type of situation it's it's very scary. You know, I was I was I was telling Q that I was at the the game where Dennis Bird broke his neck. I we had season tickets for the New York Jets when I was a, a kid all the way up through high school and I can remember being in that stadium with my father and and my son and my brother and we we knew it was really bad because the Mike Utley situation had just happened and of course that's kind of fresh in your mind but we we knew because Bird was was motionless, and they, I remember them showing the replay in the stadium, and you could see the collision of Bird's head and neck into the chest of Scott Merceru, and it, it was one of those things where even as a teenager, it affected you, and it's one of those things that I I will never forget in my entire life, and see seeing that situation last night. My, my brain always goes to that day where, where Dennis Bird was injured. And unfortunately, Dennis Bird passed away a couple of years ago in a, in a car accident. A teenager was driving the wrong way on the highway and, and hit Bird. But Dennis Bird used it as an inspiration for, for a lot of other people. And he was able to walk. And I remember crying as an adult when he came out during the Rex Ryan era. And he was one of the, the captains in a playoff game. And it made me cry. Because it was it was such an amazing moment, but getting back to last night, it, the, the the good news is Sitaki seemed to indicate that that it wasn't the worst case scenario, and hopefully the young the young man from BYU is going to be okay. You know, like I said, it's just a scary situation, and everyone's heart is in their their throat when something like that happens. Because yeah, it, it's really bad when it's in the NFL. I mean, whenever anyone gets injured like that, it's really bad. But when it's a college kid who you know is only 20, 21 years old. It, it has a different feel. And and we saw a UNLV player injured seriously a couple years ago in, in a similar type of situation, maybe two or three years ago. And it's just, it's it's horrible. It, it's truly a horrible situation. And, it, and it, it's devastating to witness. And 
for all the people that know him, I could only imagine how how extremely difficult it is for his f- close friends and family if it's really hard for people like you and me who don't even know him. So hopefully he's going to be okay. And, and indications are, like I said, Sitaki said that he was improving and they were just going to keep him for some more tests. So hopefully we get word that he's heading back to Provo very soon. And, and you know, we, we just hope that, that it's the best that the situation turns out to be good. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I, I think we've had positive uh, signs, obviously. It doesn't sound like paralysis is an option. You wonder if football is uh, is going to continue in his life. I know his family and probably nobody but him cares about that. But every athlete I've talked to that has had what what turns out to be catastrophic injuries, like Napoleon McCallum, all they're thinking about is they're getting wheeled to the hospital. When am I going to play it's amazing that that's what goes through their head. And, Chris, I've seen a, a few of those in my day. Matter of fact, Spencer and I, I made Spencer Google uh, yesterday. Um, I said, why don't you Google somebody? And I had him Google, Google Chuck Hughes of the Lions. My first One of my first football memories at Tiger Stadium, I was nine years old when Chuck Hughes dropped dead on the sidelines. To this day, the only player in NFL history to ever die in an actual game. Uh, it wasn't a hit or anything like that. His heart just gave out. It was something that he had a pre-existing condition, and that's when it decided to go. And it was pretty wild seeing that. Um, I was at the game when Mike Utley was paralyzed for the Detroit Lions. I was also at the game in 1997 when Reggie Brown, who was was about to be an all-rookie player, one of the best rookies to come out that year, a linebacker out of USC, went down. He luckily uh, you know, was, was able to walk, and he had a serious spinal cord injury, but he ended up recovering from that, similar to Dennis Bird. I remember when Dennis Bird went down. I remember when Chucky Mullins went down. I remember when Nick Bonacani's son went down. These are injuries that have happened. I, I don't really remember the Daryl Stanley injury. Ironically, his uh, his uh, nephew, I believe, is playing uh, is playing for LSU right now. I didn't have a real good game yesterday, but all those are just when you see them, you just kind of cringe because that is the game of football. And even with all the rules in place to protect the players now, the head-to-head contact, we saw one of UNLV's best new faces get ejected from the game in the first quarter for something that was called targeting. Five years ago, that wouldn't have even been a penalty. And again, I'll talk about that with Caleb a little bit more when he joins the show. But now it was a penalty. When I saw the replay, I agreed. Uh, based on the rule, that was a targeting penalty. It should have been the penalty of 15 yards, and it should have been a game ejection which it was and it's really sad because it was a really nice play and he wasn't going to hurt the guy he was just being aggressive which is what they teach you to be in football and uh you know but but again when you see things like that you're happy uh those things are put in place as far as the game itself went spencer um we watched it we got there a little bit late so you and i were actually eating and watching on on the monitor in the cafeteria there in the press box uh what was going on with keenan ellis and uh, both of us were very heartfelt it was like how to choke down your food it just you can feel for you know you do you know as magnum alluded to you you think of the guy's family you think of his friends and teammates and what goes through everyone's head and as a football player you know watching that getting back out there has to be a little bit scary i mean you got to get it out of your mind quickly the game goes on but you know seeing that if i was on the field i'd be like whoa it's just a reminder how brutal that game is and how everything can come crashing down and come to a screeching halt in one play yeah, I mean, we call this an amateur sport, or it was for a long time. And these kids weren't able to make money off their name. But when you see plays like that, you realize how real the sport is and how dangerous it can be. And the fact that these are just, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds throwing their bodies around like that, it's it's pretty scary stuff. But overall, it was an entertaining game. And uh, my biggest takeaway was 
Jaron Hall, the quarterback for BYU, who had the impossible task of following up on, you know, probably the biggest name BYU's almost ever had in college football, at least in the past like 10 years. And he played a pretty darn good game. Well, my biggest takeaway, Spencer, is the fact that you don't want it to come down to a field goal at Allegiant Stadium. My God, between UNLV's game and BYU's game yesterday, field goals are at a premium at Allegiant Stadium. I was talking with Mags and uh, Spencer at the game and even Q, and we were saying, man, there, there must be a little swirling wind inside of Allegiant Stadium that none of us can see because even that field goal that UNLV had to win at the end of the game was a chip shot. It was basically an extended extra point, and the kid shanked it to the left. But again, we're going to touch on that in a few minutes when I bring Caleb Herring up. Board. But, um, you know, I took that away from the game, you know, joking around, but um, I took away from the game again that, uh, you know, that again, every every minute in life is precious. And again, I, that's that was one of the, the the things that just stuck out in my mind was that. And I know the one thing that stuck out in Magnum's mind more than anything else about that game, where there was a superstar, a potential superstar future quarterback on the sidelines at Brigham Young, and that guy just to be the official starting quarterback of the New York Jets beginning next week. The, the Zach Wilson era begins. And all I thought of Mags, and we got, I get, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to answer it because we got to get through this, but um, all I thought of was I look at Zach Wilson. The kid's got all the tools. I like what I see. You know, it's going to be a tough road to, to revamp and turn the New York Jets around right away. But what I see when I look at him is I see a choir boy. I mean, this guy, you look at him on the sideline. I don't think his hair moved the entire game. Granted, there was no win, but he almost reminds me like when Mark Price came out of Georgia Tech and played for Cleveland. The guy's hair never moved. He just didn't look like he belonged on the basketball court. Yet Mark Price was a tenacious point guard and, uh, and and was a really good player in his day. And I'll tell you what, Zach Wilson, you know, don't let those looks deceive you. This guy is this guy is a is a sniper. He's a dagger, and he the job that he can make every throw on the field. He's very mobile, and uh, he's been credited for being a very cerebral quarterback as well. But again, when you look at him, Chris, he's not really an imposing figure, is he? No, no. the The funny thing is, he, he's a he's a good looking kid. You know, like you look at him, you're like, wow, he's he's in a he's a good looking guy. He would do very well in New York, like with the ladies. The good thing is, I don't think that's going to be an issue with Zach Wilson, like it was with Mark Sanchez and and Sam Darnold. Remember, Sam Darnold got mono. I will never question an NFL quarterback having fun in in that regard. But I think Zach Wilson is a football first guy. And obviously, it's been a very long time. You know, as a long-suffering Lions fan, just how how awful it is to root for a team that sucks year in year out, like you and like like I do. But I like a lot of what I see in Zach Wilson. I think he's a leader, which is a big thing, and I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. I think the Jets have done a good job. I think Robert Salah is going to be a really good head coach in the NFL. I think they won the offseason in that regard as far as hiring the best coach of, of new head coaches. And uh, I think they did a good job with Zach Wilson. Look, there's a lot of really good football people that I listen to and I and I follow on Twitter who all seem to say that Zach Wilson is going to be better than Trevor Lawrence. I hope they're right. I hope he's better than, than Mac Jones, and I hope he's better than every other quarterback that came out in the draft because that only means good things for my New York Jets. I, I think Zach Wilson has all the tools, as I said, Chris, but, you know, the NFL, we know 
We know the old satire, not for long, and for a lot of players that look real good in college, it turns out to be exactly that in the National Football League. You never know how somebody's going to make that transition. I still think the Jets gave up on Sam Donald too quick, but I think looking at Zach Wilson and what he brought to the table and his availability at that time with the great draft pick, Hopefully it was a good move for the Jets. And as you said, Chris, good-looking guy. He should do good in New York. I was watching him on the sidelines a little bit, and uh, it seemed like he has Storm, Stormy was pretty, uh, pretty uh, happy with Zach Wilson, too. She, she, I mean, she must have spent 20 minutes interviewing the guy, and I didn't think they were on camera. So uh, that, that was interesting, but I'm just teasing. But, um, no, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do for the Jets, and I do think with him you can build a team around this kid if he is what the New York Jets and a lot of experts think he is. Uh, Spencer shakes his head a little bit, but I think that uh, I, I like what I'm seeing from Zach Wilson. Let's, listen, let's move on. Um, yeah, again, it was cool seeing a game at – you know, a game with a lot of fans at uh, my first time at Allegiant Stadium, seeing a ton of fans, and that was really, really cool. Spencer, do nightcap real quick while Caleb's getting set up, and we'll get Caleb on right after. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Vegas Golden Knights announced on Thursday that fans won't be required to provide proof of COVID-19 vaccination or a negative test to attend games this season at T-Mobile Arena. The team announced again that um, they will require everyone to be uh, wear face masks, but that would be it. And for us in the media, um, as Mags told me last night, and I checked it out, pretty cool. The media will get locker room access again starting this season at T-Mobile Arena. Back with the Vegas Golden Knights and the visiting team, the only difference is the media will have vaccinated still masks. They, they go to locker rooms, which is very understandable, but at least, uh, you know, it's not something required. Not that it shouldn't be required. Not that you shouldn't get vaccinated. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, you know, it's weird that you, 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 you can't go see a football game and some people can. I've never seen anything like that. And we're going to see that. At, uh, we're going to, we've, we've seen it. Um, we, we're, we haven't seen it yet because it wasn't the case for the Seattle game, but it is going to be the case starting right starting right above against the Baltimore Ravens. So pretty interesting on that. And Mags, real quickly, because I got Caleb Holden. Uh, in July, um, the first ever draft pick, Cody Glass, taken sixth overall, was traded to the National Predators for Nolan Patrick. I haven't really talked about it a great deal on the show, but um, he was uh, um, Nolan Patrick was a player taking four spots higher than Glass in the 2007 NHL draft, which was the inaugural draft for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um you know, I just want to ask you, Max, how much did the knee injury set Cody Glass back? Is that really it? Because he attributed that to not having the speed. I mean, Cody Glass played a total of 66 games over the past two seasons, 22 points, nine goals, 13 assists, very highly touted. Chris, I wasn't impressed from the get-go. I went and saw him play for the Henderson Silver Knights when he was down, and uh, I just wasn't impressed with the kid. He was one of the guys that I said after at the end of the conclusion of the season, I doubted he would be a Vegas Golden Knight in any capacity next season, and I'm not going to pat myself on the back and say I'm right, and I'm not going to say Cody Glass won't end up morphing into a good NHL player at some time, and maybe a new start in Nashville will be a good fit for him, but um, I just wasn't that impressed. I, I thought right from the get-go, the very beginning when we first saw the guys out here, Chris, that Nick Suzuki was the better player, and he may be the best player out of that entire 2017 draft, and the Knights had him and let him get away, but for a good reason, they got Matt Batchery, but uh, Cody Glass, man. 
Yeah, I, I, I never really looked at Cody Glass early on and thought he was going to be a superstar. I don't really feel like there were, you know, the, the, the biggest problem is I think the Golden Knights, they were always going to draft Cody Glass regardless of who was there when they were drafting. Uh, you look at some of the guys who were drafted just a few spots ahead of him, and I still think the Golden Knights would have passed on those guys and taken Cody Glass. I, I, I don't know if that was the right decision. Uh, you know, I, I think the difference is Nolan Patrick has a lot more NHL experience, but if you look at the history of both of these guys, they both have kind of underachieved and they both have kind of had injury issues. Uh, I, I'm hoping that Nolan Patrick is able to put his behind him and and, and be a, a formidable part of the Golden Knights, but, you know, the, the, the big thing is I, I, I just don't know what to expect. I, I really don't see a whole lot of upside in this trade and, and downside for either side. I mean, it's just a guy for a guy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, it, it is. I don't, I don't know that that, that uh, the Patrick's going to help this team out a great deal either, but again, it's a guy for a guy, and I think maybe they both needed a fresh start in a new place, so hopefully that'll work out well for both of them. Don't want to take up any more time. Wait, keeping him on hold. He is so gracious to join us today. Uh, former co-host of the show, and um, uh, current and and now I can almost say like three four years longtime color commentator on ESPN the leader here in Las Vegas for uh, Rebel Football and called uh, the first game with Russ Langer on Thursday night at Allegiant Stadium in front of the biggest crowd the Rebels have played in front of. But before we get into that, Caleb, what's up, man? What's up, G Pop? How you doing, man? Oh man, I you know I, I never thought I'd say this. I like miss you. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm just I'm just used to being there. I guess maybe I don't have somebody giving me the crap that you give me anymore. Hey Spence, clip that and save it for later because I'm going to use that against him. He misses me. All right. <laughs> yeah, if he ever right, comes back, he's going to use that to negotiate his contract with. I already know how this guy operates. I'll listen before we get into this. You know, I decided we would do something special for you today. We found an old clip from a little while ago that I thought would make you pretty happy. So, Spencer, go ahead and uh, and let Caleb check this out on Facebook Live. Wait, that was the wrong clip. Wait, that was the wrong clip. Uh, of course, Montana defeated number 20 Washington in a huge upset. And I was going to tell you, you know, Montana is now 217-1 against Washington. The last time they had beat them was 1920. And just yeah. so you know, I wrote this down because Spencer, you know my stupid statistics. In 1920, Montana had only been a state for 31 years. Babe Ruth was leading the majors in eight categories, including home runs and RBIs. And Cal football was the national champions in multiple polls. So that's how long ago it was. And um, I know you want to congratulate your old coach and mentor, Bobby Houck. So, but I, I didn't mean to play that clip. <laughs> Yeah, you did. I knew as soon as you said it, I knew something was up. But no, I. You, you know what, Caleb? Funny, but I really do have a clip for you. What's for? It seems like ages ago, but that's Caleb Herring playing wide receiver last season. They definitely, you know, remind me that I should know what it feels like to be overthrown or to, you know, have have a have a ball come come at me a little awkward, get set up for a big hit across the middle or something like that. Herring lined up at wideout because he was beat out by freshman Nick Sherry for the starting quarterback job. Having something taken away from you that you love to do, it, it hurt a little bit. I think the pain of you know having it taken away made me appreciate it all that more when I got it back. He fully got it back in the third game this season. 
The rest is Rebel history. UNLV is 7-5 and and bowl bound for the first time since 2000. Holy cow, did you see those passes? I mean, like, on the money, the look at what I did for you. You see, I did have a clip. I just, somehow we messed up a little bit. But, uh, man, I looked at those, and that guy could still possibly, not even possibly, dude, we know he could throw on the universe, especially now that he's a monster. He's going after Arnold Schwarzenegger. A guy's beefed up. But, uh, Caleb, that, that for those of you watching on Facebook Live and those of you listening that couldn't see it, uh, that was a little clip that Channel 8 ran a long time ago when Caleb had led the Rebels to a bowl game back in 2014. And I think, my friend, we're going to be popping in champagne again this year. I don't want to predict any doom for UNLV, but I think we might be popping champagne again this year. Does the record stand? I guess so. You know what's funny? Is I I uh I actually did email Coach Halkin, uh, Coach Rosie after that game when I when I heard the news. I emailed them just a second grass because it was a big win. And you know I still uh keep in touch with or tried to with uh, Tim Rosenbach. Coach, uh, he was my offensive coordinator that year, and he was really one of the big difference makers for that season. Um, but no, I, I, I did actually, I reached out to them and said, congratulations on the win. And, um, hopefully they're, they're enjoying it or which they should. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I'm not going to say yet after one game that, uh, UNLV's hopes of a bowl game have been dashed. Uh, I think everybody else will say that enough, but I, what I will say is that what I saw from UNLV, uh, early in the game was an improvement in some areas that were very questionable, uh, have been very questionable for the better part of the last decade. And, um, uh, that was was hopefully optimistic to see some of those things. You take any kind of positive you can, and I've I've grown accustomed to doing that, right? To being able to find positives where where most people don't see any. But that that definitely was a positive. That uh, some of the things that have been a question mark for so long were actually answered, and um, hopefully they can improve on those and start to stack those improvements as they go on. Well, you know what? What I'm really sad right now because I realize that CTE is a part of football. Caleb Herring just said he uh, emailed Bobby Hauk after the game. The poor guy, Caleb. Anything you need, brother, I'm there for you because I know things definitely are wrong. You hate Bobby Hauk, no matter what you say, you do. You will till the day you die. But he had to put up with you for one season, and because of you, he's back at Montana beating teams like Washington. Without you, he's coaching right now in Podunk, Idaho, at Podunk High School. So again, you might not have got you the royalties brother but he owes you more than he'll ever admit i hope he responds to that email in a very positive way but right now let's get into uh the rebels discussion because i do want to talk about that and go ahead fred spencer hit it back this if you don't like the facts take your ass back to bed fact this caleb herring say it is a fact on Thursday night at Allegiant Stadium, UNLV's football team played Division One FCS Eastern Washington in front of more fans than they have since Caleb Herring was playing at UNLV, um, and that was back in 2014. And although the Rebels lost the game, this was the most exciting football game I have seen them play in a long time. I saw improved defense, a possibly... Real quarterback in sophomore Doug Brumfield, although I don't know why he didn't start the game. And Caleb, without being the homer that you are, is my assessment accurate? No, yeah, it is. I, I think uh, I think uh, they were much improved on defense, uh, much improved tackling overall. I think the first tackle of the game on, on kickoff, um, you saw a guy break down, get his feet under his pads, square target up. And, and launch into him physically. And I think uh, you saw that throughout the game. It's, well, especially in the first half, the tackling across the board was so much better. 
And uh, it was pretty much the guy that made contact was bringing guys down in the first half. And we saw some big hits, too, from Phillip Hill and Noel Williams and, of course, Jacoby Winman flying all over the place from that inside linebacker position now who um, is going to be a much more dynamic piece of the defense from that position. I think you definitely saw the improvements defensively, and uh, that, that bore out when you hold a team like Eastern Washington, FCS or not. They have a high-powered offense with a talented quarterback. I mean, you look at FCS uh, talent. There's an FCS quarterback that was drafted in the top five last year, right? So, um, and it's not to say that Eric Barrier is – that caliber of Trey Lance, but there's talent in the FCS level. And uh, if you ask anybody who's been watching the FCS football and, and uh, watching Eric Barrier throughout his career, you'll say that he's a, one of the most talented quarterbacks that they've seen. Um, and the Rebels were able to contain him and that offense for a whole half uh, to three points, essentially, and, and were competitive defensively. Um, again, the same old story, though, with UNLV football, the depth wasn't there. And in the second half, when the fatigue set in, all those fundamentals that we were enjoying in the first half went out the window. Nonetheless, it was still an exciting game. Two overtimes in the first game of the season. You can't complain about that. The fans that stayed and stuck it out to the end had a really good time watching that comeback. And literally as close as you can get to coming out on top there. So UNLV has a lot to hang their hat on, but you don't celebrate losses in any sense. So still a lot to work on and, and hopefully get one in the win column. Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. I agree with you there. You can't count losses. But, Caleb, you know, to say the words UNLV – defense and and something positive after it is huge to begin with and i did enjoy it i agree with you 100 percent right off the get-go and you and i discussed it at halftime noel williams man i mean that is as good of a defensive back as i've seen unlv have in a long time now i'm assessing that in one game but what i'm assessing that bias his physicality the hit he made that got him ejected as i stated at the beginning of the show was a hit five years ago that wouldn't even have been a penalty it was a great tackle but unfortunately and fortunately with the law with the with the um with the uh, rules in place right now to protect players from cte and head injuries as we've seen so much of that called attention to over the past two decades uh that was a hit to the head, and it was worthy of a targeting call and an ejection. He slightly tilted his head, and the two helmets made contact. That's all it takes. So I agreed with the call. I didn't like it. I've never liked it because it takes a little bit away from the game of football. But, again, that adds to it, and it is to peck the players. But I love Noel Williams. I think this kid is going to be a player. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes at least honorable mention all conference this year if the kid stays healthy and continues to play the way we saw him play against Eastern Washington. And, and uh, Caleb, you mentioned a guy that I was incredibly impressed with, Jacoby Winman. Um, this guy looks like he maybe, and I don't want to go out on a limb, but I said this when I was watching Javen White play his last season at UNLV. I said, this kid has an NFL motor, not an NFL body yet. He's got the height, but he's got to bulk up, which Javen White has done. But I see that I see that in Jacoby Whitman as well. I think actually Jacoby is, first of all, he's younger than, he still has time to develop that physical body, but he he's put on 30 pounds since last season and he definitely has i am i just looking at the eye test he has more size than javen white did uh that might affect his ability to cover because javen was actually great in coverage against the pass as well when he was at unlv but I, I think so jacoby may have to work on that aspect but as far as his instinct for the game the way he plays football that was a and you know people talk about coaching and 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 that's the reason that they lost right to eastern washington but one of the biggest coaching decisions they made was to move jacoby women to inside linebacker over the offseason and that paid huge dividends. He had 10 tackles, seven of them solo, flying sideline to sideline. His impact was felt throughout that game. There wasn't very many times in that game where you called, where you said the Rebels made a tackle and Jacoby Wimman wasn't somewhere around the ball, right? 
Um, so his impact on the game from that inside linebacker position, which was a huge strategic change, putting him there uh, in this defense, I think will be huge. And I think he set the personal goal to lead the Mountain West in tackles. And I think he has a chance to do that from this position, the way he plays with that energy, the the physicality that he brings as well with Noah Williams and guys in that secondary um, to complement it. I think it, it's huge. I think if they can get more help from the interior of that defensive line as far as occupying blocks for Jacoby so that he's able to get to the ball a little bit more freely and move more freely, I think you'll see him even go a step further. And, and like I said, he's still young. He still has another year of eligibility after this. He's, he's working his way into his body. This is a new position for him. And you would not have known that just watching last night's or last week's game. He was all over the place, and it seemed so natural to him. So he's only going to get better as the season goes on. No, I agree with you. And, hey, maybe another linebacker out of UNLV playing for the Raiders. They sure need help in that position right now. But, um, you know, as, as, as you mentioned, uh, anybody, to even say that a player on UNLV might lead the Mountain West in tackles based on the way that defense have played over the last half decade plus, that's a pretty impressive statement. And I'm not going to disagree with you. From what I saw, the sky's the limit for this kid as he continues to get better. I like that. You also mentioned a, a good coaching move, moving Jacoby Widman to that linebacker position. That might have been a good coaching move. I saw a real bad one at the end of the game on both sides, Caleb, and I, I, I was blown away. I got to tell you, both by Coach Aaron Best and Marcus Arroyo, you know, you got 50 seconds to go. UNLV loses uses their last time out. They've got a third and two, uh, and it ends up Eastern Washington gets the first down at about the nine-yard line. You got 50 seconds to go in the game. I was amazed that Aaron Best chose to run the football. I thought he's going to move the ball to the middle of the field, kneel down until there's about seven seconds to go in the game because you don't have time. UNLV has no more timeouts. Instead, he ran the ball. He gave UNLV the greatest gift in the world and ran the ball with still almost a minute to go in the game. Caleb, what do you do as a football coach? Because I'm not one. I didn't play at the collegiate level. I tapped out in high school. That was it. What do you do as a football coach, in your opinion, when there's 50 seconds to go in the game, you're tied, and they're inside of the 10-yard line with a first down, and they choose to run the football? What do you do? If I'm if I'm the defensive coach, if, I, if I'm defending that, I, I mean, I just— If you're the defensive coach, if you're the head coach, you go over to the defensive coach to make sure it happens, and it's a real—to me, it's a real simple thing because you're expecting them to kneel on the ball, kill the clock, and kick the ball with no time left, and they decide to run the ball up the middle. What do you do? Yeah, well, I, I mean, that that's one way to look at it. I, I think running the ball up the middle, you still give yourself the potential to score. I think at that point in the game, you, you had already missed— a couple of field goals from what you would have expected to be a chip shot. So I think the thinking from Eastern Washington was let's try to score at least, you know, we don't want okay, to, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to dispute. So. I'm not disputing that call as much as I'm disputing what Marcus Arroyo did there or what allowed. Are you not going to tell your defense if by any chance they run the football, I go if you if none of you have seen the Ten Commandments, you need to watch it. At one point, Moses tapped the rock and the Red Sea parted. I need the Red Sea to part and let this guy walk into the end zone if they're going to run the football. So we have a minute to go down and score because you can't count on them shanking a 31-yard field goal, which is what luckily happened for UNLV. But come on, Caleb, you gotta you gotta admit there's no question. If you if if, if Eastern you tell your defense if Eastern Washington runs the ball, let the kids score, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if I if you're in normal circumstances and your offense is clicking, but uh, let's let's keep in mind their offense was clicking. Brumfield had just gone down. Well, he had, but he had played decently in the second half. He threw that one bomb late that got him that let him down to a big score. I mean, listen, I wouldn't I wouldn't call this clicking necessarily. I wouldn't have put the faith in my offense at that point based on what they produced. Yes, Brumfield came in and added a spark, but their touchdowns and their points really came off short field turnovers. Uh, and that's how they crawl back into the game, especially when you consider that Daniel Gutierrez was the one who was holding them into the game. Twelve of their points came on field goals uh, up until that point. They had the one touchdown with Charles Williams late. And, and again, that came off of a fumble on the kickoff return. So uh, the first play right after that, they were in the end zone. So your offense hadn't put together a drive uh, that ended in a touchdown up to that point in a ball game. And I granted that the momentum and the energy was probably in your favor. And like you said, there was a spark in the offense with Brumfield. But there was no reason to think that we're going to be able to go down and get seven. So I think the ultimate it doesn't matter. You have to goal. try because you're lo- your 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 chances are that field goal is going to be made. Even though now we know that there is some kind of ghost in Allegiant Stadium that gets fe- that 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 blocks field goals that we don't see. But in all seriousness, I was shocked by that. Uh, there's no way I'm going to agree with that coaching move. But uh, again, you know, it ended up working out well. They went into double overtime, and it turned out to be a really exciting game in double overtime. It was it was cool. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, uh, uh, Caleb, and and you, I'm not. I'm not going to make you comment on this since you have to do the coach's show, but I'm going to say it while you're listening so you could say you heard it. I mean, I've, I've said to Spencer, I've said to other friends of mine, Shap on another show and other guys at ESPN and Fox, I think I would have an easier time getting Nick Saban to join this show than Marcus Arroyo. And honestly, brother, I have absolutely no idea why. I am a UNL. I, I've been covering UNLV for years. I want them to succeed and do well. And all I do is do my job, as most of us in the media do. I've never in my life seen a coach avoid media and avoid talking. And I don't know what good that's going to do him or the Rebels. I really don't because, you like you've talked before, about how the media gets on people and that makes it harder to recruit. Well, you're not enamoring yourself to the media in any way by simply avoiding them like the plague. And to say I could get Nick Saban, one of the goats of all time in college, over Marcus Arroyo was pretty amazing, but I feel that I could. Like I said, I won't make a comment on it because I know you'll put a positive spin on something that there's nothing positive to. So on that, I'm going to end it. Caleb, Appreciate you joining the show. Check him out. He is the color man with Russ uh, Langer on ESPN Radio, the leader for all UNLV Rebel games. Man, you do a great job with that. And maybe one day we'll get you back in here, but I'm not renegotiating your contract. <laughs> hey, you got to up the ante, buddy, if you want to get me back. All right. I'm just letting <laughs> you know that now. <laughs> Last quarterback to take UNLV to a bowl game, and I got a feeling they'll be popping champagne again this year, as will Mercury Morris to the Miami Dolphins. Appreciate you, brother. You guys have a good one. Take care. You too. All right, let's get right over to Jesse Merrick and waste no time as the poor guy's been on hold for about 12 minutes. But, hey, we're running a little late today, as uh, typically happens in the show. And, uh, Jesse, of course, if you're unfamiliar, which I doubt you are if you're a sports fan and listening to the show, you probably know he's with uh, News 3, and he is a sports anchor reporter over there, does a great job. Uh, Brian Selman, another good friend of mine, uh, uh, they, they do a great job in there. And, Jesse, of course, you're hearing him a lot on on radio programs and stuff as he covers the Raiders, does a really good job with that. Former college wide receiver uh talked to jesse a little bit about that in the press box thursday night but uh jesse what's up brother welcome to the show what's up man appreciate you having me on man appreciate it 
Oh, absolutely. Well, I almost didn't again because when I predicted Tampa Bay coming from the eight hole and winning the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago, on, on the air, Brian Selman said straight up, he goes, who would have ever predicted that? And Jesse goes, nobody. And he'd been on our show five days before that. And, uh, and we've talked about how I predicted it at the beginning of the season. But we'll leave that alone because Jesse promised me any predictions I make in the future will, it will be announced, especially the wrong ones that I make, which are way more than the right ones. So 100%. We'll get me that way, but but who doesn't make more wrong than right predictions? Jesse, the Raiders won the, the two, you know, won two of the preseason games this year. Nathan Peterman took every pr- pretty much every snap in all three games, and I, I joked around last week and I said, you know, on Jeopardy, if this were a Jeopardy question, how many people in Jeopardy history before preseason this year, and unless you were a Buffalo Bills fan, would be able to answer the question, who is Nathan Peterman? But right now, a lot of people can, especially here in Vegas. Peterman has definitely played better this preseason. Not great, but better than I've ever seen him play. He looked like an NFL quarterback, and obviously John Gruden is enamored with the guy because he gave nobody an opportunity besides Peterman to win the number three spot if uh, Vegas Golden Knights, if the Vegas Raiders elect to go with three quarterbacks, which you pretty much have to in the NFL to start the season. So Nathan Peterman's going to be the third guy. Why is Jesse John Gruden, I don't know if you you've talked about why is he so enamored with Nathan Peterman I mean look if you watch the preseason I, I, I before we get to that I understand the the narrative that comes along with Nate Peterman and everything like that like you know his career in Buffalo was obviously not great it's been tough for that guy to kind of hurdle that but if you watch the preseason you know that the kid's got NFL tools and I think that's the stuff that that really has enamored John Gruden to that we all know that he loves himself some quarterbacks guys that have a lot of things to work with you know, Peterman showed some legs as well, some mobility and things like that. And he ran the offense really well in those three preseason games when he got some time and wasn't, you know, on his backside in like three seconds or whatever. I mean, the O-line kind of hurt him. The backup O-line did. But I, I saw some good tools from Peterman. He was able to run the offense. And let's not be, you know, coy about it. Like, this is a tough offense to, to get your head around. So he likes him. And also a lot of it was out of need because Marcus Arroyo, you know, we found out, I mean, not Marcus Arroyo, <laughs> um, Marcus Mariota, we found out wasn't healthy, you know, through the preseason. So that was a big reason why they played him, um, you know, for all, all the snaps, you know, they did bring in, bring in Case Kukas for a bit there, but there was no competition there. It was literally because they needed more court, another quarterback to be able to run the offense in an emergency basis. So, uh, you know, Peterman's got some tools. And look, he's a third string quarterback. Like, you know, you're not looking for a world beater there. So I think in a spot like that with your third string guy, you could do a lot worse than Nate Peterman. I'm not going to disagree with you. One thing I've read about Peterman, and again, I don't know it firsthand. I don't really attend any of the Raider practices, but I have heard that Nate Peterman has worked as hard as anybody this past offseason to make him a quality NFL quarterback. I don't know if quality will ever be a word we use with Nathan Peter, but a serviceable NFL quarterback that belongs on a roster, I will say, in my opinion anyway, he earned that this year. So I'll agree with you. Sticking to the, the theme of quarterbacks right now, before we get into more stuff, Derek Carr. A lot of people that I talk to, you know, we all kind of have the same feeling that this is kind of a make or break year for both Derek Carr and John Gruden. Derek Carr's had enough seasons in the NFL. He had a very successful campaign a couple of years ago before he hurt himself. I don't know that he's ever been as great at before he hurt himself, but but I, that's not fair to say because I've seen him still play like Derek Carr. There's just times, 
Jesse, that I feel that he makes errant and bad decisions. Not that all quarterbacks at some point in time don't do it. I think he might make a few more than other people. I don't know that he is able to completely see the field and recognize all of his options. And I don't know if this is going to be a better team than we saw in 2020. When I look at the schedule this year, I could see this team losing or winning as few as five games and maybe only as many as, as eight. But again, they could be better than that. It's going to depend. The offensive line is going to play a big factor in this, as is the linebacker position that's really gotten depleted. We'll talk about that in a minute, but as far as quarterbacks go, and please don't be a homer. Will Kiss will keep giving you your credential. What do you think about Derek Carr? Do you believe in this guy? Do you believe he is a quarterback with a with a def, an improving defense, but defense wins champions, especially in the NFL. So you're talking about maybe in his career, he might never get this defense be above media, mediocrity. With a mediocre defense, is Derek Carr capable of winning a Super Bowl? No, uh, and I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that, you know. But at the same time, also, Derek Carr is a good quarterback. You know, he's not a great quarterback, but he's a good quarterback, and he can lead you to the playoffs. You know, unless you've got something defensively, I don't know that you're necessarily going to go to the Super Bowl with the guy. But he's got tools, and he's a guy like look. He was, uh, I believe, top 10 in passing efficiency last year. Like, is he going to be out there be slinging it like Pat Mahomes? No, but, like, nobody in the NFL does it quite like that guy does. And that's the thing is I think people that watch and think Derek Carr is the issue haven't been watching. Like, I mean, look, it, you, you could do better, obviously. The, the way the NFL has gone, there's more dynamic guys, more athletic guys, and, you know, all that stuff. And I understand people are enamored with that. But in terms of a guy that comes in and runs the offense and does what it's supposed to be done, out there on the field. I mean, you're not going to get much better than the efficiency from this guy, you know? And, and I also think you got to take into account. Yeah. Maybe he's not pushing the ball down the field as much in previous years because like, who's he going to do that to, you know? And, and so last year, obviously they had Nelson Aguilar. So we saw the guy put on a little bit more of a show, throwing the ball down the field. So if Henry Ruggs is that guy that they think that he is, you know, he'll be able to kind of take over that role this year. Another guy they really like is Brian Edwards. So like when you've got a receiving core, and a guy like Darren Waller as well out there, you know, you're able to do more things and spread it around and use the kind of speed that the Raiders have. And I think that's one thing they're hoping they can put on display this year. So I, I don't think Derek Carr is the issue one bit. I mean, again, it's the defense. You know, they gave up like almost 30 points a game last year. You're not going to get anything done if that's the case. I mean, you're, you're going to be pushing yourself. And Derek Carr, I think, is a guy that he's not, he's not going to – I hate to even say that he's not going to win you the game, but he's definitely not going to lose you the game. You know what I mean? So, like, he's a quarterback that can get a lot of good things done, and I don't think he's a guy that should even be in question whatsoever. Yes, it's a make-or-break year for him, given the contract status and everything like that, but I think Derek Carr comes back, and I think this team goes to the playoffs with Derek Carr. It's just a matter of how far they go, and honestly, I don't think that's on him. I think it's going to be on the defense eventually when they do, if, if and when they get to that point. He is Jesse Merrick, a News 3 sports anchor and reporter, joining the show with us, with us right now, talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. And um, I, what I like about Derek Carr is he is efficient. He keeps his ego in check. He seems to be a very popular player amongst his teams, and he does seem to be a team leader. All those things are positive attributes, but I think he is going to have to stay a step up. And again, I argue this with Spencer all the time. Yes, Riggs needs to get better and needs to be the guy that we thought he was going to be when he was drafted number one by the you know their first-round pick, but it's it's not him, and I, I just don't know how people don't 
it just you mentioned Darren Waller, but Darren Waller is one of the top three tight ends in the NFL right now. And you want to talk about a big play threat, a guy that's a threat to get open and bust one at any time. He's as good as having a great wide receiver. He is a great tight end, and that is a lethal weapon for Derek Carr. To me, they need the running game to get going because when, most teams have one great receiver. It's either a tight end. Most teams don't have the luxury of a Tariq Hill and a Travis Kelsey on the same squad. You've either got a great tight end or a great wide receiver. Rarely do you have both. And the Raiders have one in Darren Waller. This guy has developed and morphed into one of the upper echelon, not just tight ends, but receiver in the National Football League. And he's a tremendous weapon for Derek Carr. So I don't want to make excuses for him because this guy, even if he's double teamed, that's going to leave somebody else wide open. And Derek Carr is going to have to utilize this and they're going to have to devise an offense around these talents. But again, to me, it's going to be the key is the running game. And when you talk about the running game, they just picked up a free agent this week. Matter of fact, yesterday in Peyton Barber uh, to the active roster. He's from Washington. We got him from their practice squad from last year. 5'11", 225 pounds. He played, uh, uh, he's he was an undrafted free agent by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2016 and spent the first four years of his career with them. Over uh, his five-year career, Barber has appeared in 79 games, 30 starts, uh, I think uh, carried the ball 645 carries, 2,244 yards, 19 touchdowns, 61 receptions for another 361 yards and two more touchdowns. How much can he help this team, Jesse? Uh, I don't think we're going to see a ton out of him. More so, he's going to be, you know, like uh, yeah. they're doing it because of Jalen Richard. He's got a foot injury. Right. Seen him riding around, kind of little the scooter that they have out there. He's been in a boot and everything. So uh, this signing to me signals that he could be out for a bit longer. You know, they didn't place him on IR, so maybe you know they're just going to be out like two weeks, maybe just three weeks exactly. I'm not 100 percent sure on that one, but um, but yeah, no, I don't think Peyton Barber is going to be doing a ton. You know, because Jalen Richard was that guy that was you know, your, your third down, quote unquote, your third down back, yep. but you bring Kenny and Drake into the fold and he's probably going to kind of take over that role. The thing that they really like about Jalen Richard is the way that the, you know, uh, it blocks in the passing game and stuff like that. So Peyton Barber probably come in and do some similar things to that, but we're going to see a heck of a lot more of Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs. They got all the rest in the preseason in the world. So these guys are going to be ready to roll. And the thing that I'm really intrigued to see is uh, Kenyon Drake be that quote unquote joker on offense that moves around and plays every bit of position. You know, a lot of times throughout uh, camp, we did see him line up at receiver. Don't want to give away too much of what the offense does. I don't know if you guys have been listening to the press conferences, but a question was asked if they're going to split Kenyon Drake out wide at wide receiver. And John Gruden didn't like that question too much. So ignore the fact that the guy's got receiver skills. Let's just say he may be out there catching passes at certain times. And I think that's going to be a valuable piece of the offense, but Peyton Barber, you know, maybe he gets like five, six snaps a game, 10, maybe. Um, I don't think we're going to see much of him. Kenyon Drake and another ex Detroit Lion that's in the mix on another squad. I just, I just love it for guy. Yeah, same thing. I think the guy has talent, and of course, that's why Detroit let him go. But uh, <laughs> real quickly, uh, Javen White and 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 we got a, we got about two minutes left for this segment. Javen White, what have you heard? I knew he was going to make the fifty three man roster. Boy, it was cool to see his upper body gain that much bulk over the course of one year. You can see how hard he worked on that upper body, but it's not a surprise to me because the one thing that I saw at UNLV and Javen White is that motor this kid has. He goes from the from the, from the the whistle to the gun every game, and that was always Javen White, a, a true football player. And even though I knew he was undersized to play linebacker in the National Football League, not height-wise, but physicality and bulk-wise, that's changed now. He still has to bulk up the, uh, the lower body if he can, but the upper body looks 
look good. And boy, was he flying around out there. Got a stinger in the first game, carted off the field the second game, all because of how hard he was playing. When is he going to be back? And is he going to be an impactful player and eventually a starter in the National Football League, Jesse? Yeah, I, I think he's got the ability to be able to do that. I mean, he's got everything he can need, and, and the team clearly loves him. You know, in terms of when he'll be back, not 100% sure on that. They're not required to release injuries just quite yet. Uh, you know, I think we'll get a more of a clear picture on that front. But they have said that he's going to be back sooner than Nick Morrow, and both of them didn't go on long-term IR. So you expect – I don't know. I don't. I hate tossing a number on it, but maybe it's a five-, six-week deal with, with Javen. Um, you know, I'm not 100% sure on that one, but it, it looked a lot worse than it's probably going to be once we get the idea. So that's good news on that front for him. But he has put on the weight. I'm excited to see him put on a bit more weight, maybe like in that 10 to 15 pound range. But he's been able to keep the speed. And like he was the guy that forget the fact that he went to UNLV, he's got local ties, all that stuff. Like I was most excited to see him in that first preseason game against Seattle just because watching practice, like nobody wanted to hit anybody more than Javen White. He was taking guys to the ground in practice, getting yelled at by Gruden and all those guys. So like he's that dude that was flying sideline to sideline, wanted to get out there, like clearly wanted to hit somebody. So it was awesome to see him do what he did throughout the preseason because this is a kid you can obviously do nothing but root for. And then to see him go down in that game against the Rams was just kind of a heartbreaker because he was having another great game, really flashed the coverage skills as well on a deep pass that he just flew in there, batted it away. And he, he was out of like not out of position, but he was beat and managed to, to get back in there. So the guy's got the, all the tools to be a starting NFL line, a linebacker especially in, in the NFL that we have today, just given the way teams are airing it out. But he, he's, a, he's a kid that's got a lot a lot to work with, and it's going to be fun to watch continue to develop as he comes back this from this injury, hopefully sooner rather than later. True story. He is a true mentally NFL linebacker, I thought, here, and the motor, and I'd love to see it morphing in this league. We're out of time, Jesse. I, last question I'm going to ask you. They got their first preseason game coming up a week from Monday to kick off Monday night football against the Baltimore Ravens at Allegiant Stadium here. Jesse, what do you expect this year from the Raiders? And give me a win total for them. Yeah, I've gone, uh, what is it, 9-8. and eight. It's still weird getting used to 17 games. But I, I've said 9-8. and eight. I think it's going to be very similar to kind of what we've seen, that middle of the road, threatening for playoffs that don't quite get there. I hope I'm wrong because I'd love to see a team in Vegas, in the Las Vegas Raiders, go to the playoffs. And, you know, having an NFL team that goes to the playoffs in your market is insane. You know, it's so much fun covering that. So I hope I'm wrong. But, you know, it's going to be real interesting to kind of see, obviously – the offense, you know, how's the offensive line going to pan out? That's one thing that we're all kind of waiting to see because obviously they made some tweaks to that group. They've looked good in practice, but we haven't seen them do it against real live fire. You know, is the running game going to pick up? Are they going to be better in the red zone, more efficient? That's something that they've kind of lacked in. And John Gruden, clearly it's a bit of a touchy subject for him. And then the defense, like they've invested a lot on that side of the ball. I think they're going to be much improved. You know, and we'll get a better idea of kind of how improved they're going to look, you know, in the first two weeks of the season because we're going up against two teams that you see love to run the ball. And and that's going to be something that we tested. Obviously, the linebacker depth is a bit shallow, but bringing in K.J. Wright, Denzel Perryman, you still have Corey Littleton, Nick Kwiatkowski back there. So it's a solid group. It's just going to be like, hey, you got to buckle your chin strap in those first two weeks because either teams that are going to be playing smash mouth football that run the ball better than just about anybody out there. So. That D-line, that new reinvented D-line is going to be real tested. This defense as a whole, which is going to give up some in the run game just based off of design. So I'm curious to see right out of the gates. But I think this will be something where, you know, they maybe start off 0-2 and we're looking for that first win week three to kind of see what it looks like. 
Interesting. I'll give you my prediction next week. That is Jesse Merrick, uh, News 3 sports anchor and reporter. Appreciate you as always, Jesse. We'll be seeing you out at the stadium real soon, my friend. Yeah, man. Can't wait for it. Thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. Spencer, we are just about out of time. you got about 30 seconds. Give me aces up, man. What's going on with the aces? I know they play into Chicago. Five games left, second best record in the league, and they are first place in their conference uh, by two games. Yeah, the unfortunate news is that Liz Cambage is in safety, uh, health and safety protocols. I believe she contracted COVID-19. So six games left in the regular season. Hopefully she's back, and hopefully when she comes back, she's feeling good because we know there can be some lingering effects from COVID-19. There you go, aces up, and of course, as we mentioned, the ABA Las Vegas Aviators, winners of 15 out of their last 18 games, two straight, and they're on the road for three more games. They'll be back on Thursday for a six-game set here at the Las Vegas Ballpark. We're out of time. I'm Brian Feldman. This is Out of Line. I want to.